Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined as always by Dave, and a special guest host for this week's pod, our resident goaltending expert, Justin Rutherford, is here. On today's show, we know the Rangers are playing great hockey, but that doesn't mean they're not facing adversity. Igor Shosturkin is hurt, and despite a strong performance over the weekend uh, from Alexander Georgiev, the team's immediate future between the pipes very much hangs in the balance. We'll discuss how the Rangers can be successful in the absence of their starting goalie and what a good run from from Georgiev would mean for the team moving forward. We'll also dig into the Ryan Strom, Artemi Panarin bromance and ponder a future which may or may not include the team's current second line center. But first, Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. And I think, you know, just to kind of kick it off, uh, for the folks who may not know you or be familiar with your work at the blog, just tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself and, and your background and, and, you know, kind of how you became uh, a little bit of a, of a goaltending expert and, and aficionado. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Rob. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, for, I mean, uh, I, I would hope that if anybody's read the blog for a while, I've been writing there since, uh, geez, Dave, what was it, 2011, 2012 season? It's, it's, been, it's been a spell now. Um, but I've, I've played the, the position at, uh, you know, I, I like to think a fairly high level for, you know, the better part of three decades. So it's, uh, I've, I've kind of dedicated myself to becoming a, a bit of a student of the game and trying to pay close attention and, and watching and, and dissecting styles and, you know, just, you know, kind of geeking out about it as, uh, anybody who's played gold before it, it's, it's a very, you know, kind of, uh, uh, nerd focused position ultimately. So, you know, it's a lot of fun. You get to, you know, you watch, you get to watch a lot of hockey and, and really sort of pick up on some of the nuances and it, it gives you kind of an interesting perspective on the game let me ask you this justin what first drew you to the position because you know i grew up playing roller hockey my dad was often the coach and this was just you know in my town recreation league type stuff but he was a goalie as a young younger guy uh, roller and ice and in that league especially most kids didn't want to play goalie most kids wanted to you know play out and score and stuff like that so i ended up often stuck between the pipes i didn't necessarily hate it but i didn't love it either what made you? What drew you to the position as as a as a as a young person, you know, uh, in the game? Well, that's actually I, I get I get the opportunity to give a really popular answer right off the rip here. It was Mike Richter, just uh, you know, watching Rangers wow. games as a kid. You know, you watch Richter, and I don't know for whatever reason, I feel like uh, you know most goalies when they become goalies, it's it's sort of just a magnetic attraction to you. you can't really explain why. You just go, yep, that's I, I want to do that, and. You know, it's uh, it's been a lifelong love affair for me. I love the position, to be honest with you. I, you know, I my regular like you know men's league group and things like that are all guys that played in college and stuff. And I definitely would embarrass myself if I ever went and tried to go out there and play forward. So it's it's definitely a, a goalie's life for me. So it's it was it was a love at first sight kind of thing, and just I've always loved it. I've heard too that like a lot of kids, especially, get into the gear, right? And you you mentioned it's kind of mm-hmm. like a nerd focused position and all that, but like. You know, I, it's I, I I didn't know if you maybe had like a gear angle as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's the the gear is uh, gear is a huge point of, of kind of nerddom as far as uh, you know what <laughs> what sort of different specs you're using, which type of gear you like, all that kind of stuff. And it, it definitely rotates. You know, it's not you know you're not stuck in one single brand for your entire career. And it's just a lot of fun to see the innovations that they have and, and how the different perf- you know the different uh, new equipment performs on the ice. And it's come you know a, a massive massive level of progress in the last you know ten to fifteen years with the the different types of equipment and the different uh, 
advances in the technology. So there's, you know, I think for, for any good uh, goalie geek, the gear is definitely a huge part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, we're really happy to have you here. And I think it's a perfect time in the season to bring you on onto the show with the, you know, sudden change in, in goal for the Rangers. And we'll get to that in just a bit. But first, I want to just start off with a quick recap of, of last week, which was a good one for the Rangers. They played three times. They won three times. Uh, the first game was a a pretty comprehensive, I don't know if dominance the right word, but a really solid win over the Flyers 4-1. We obviously also know that shortly thereafter, Elaine Vigneault was fired. Uh, actually, this past Monday, if you're listening, oh, this obviously shucks. will uh, release on, on, on <laughs> Wednesday. Yeah, Dave, maybe you want to jump in there. What, what were your thoughts as uh, the Yaks finally came for Mr. Vigneault? So I saw a lot of people celebrating, and obviously, you know, there is an axe to grind that we all have. AV towards the end of his – even – during the 2015 playoff run in Game 7 against Tampa, where he dressed 11 forward, 7 defensemen, played Ryan McDonough like three minutes, which was a really dumb decision on his end. I think that's when yeah. everybody started to hate him. And then all the lineup decisions. So there was definitely a lot of people. There were definitely a lot of people celebrating. And I was one of them initially. And then I remembered the 9 nothing spanking. Uh, this 4-1 game, which would have been more had it not been for the Dryden Hunt major in game misconduct afterwards. So the Rangers were rolling until that penalty. And the Flyers were a disaster under him. And I'm kind of upset because now the Flyers might actually, will actually get a better coach. One that doesn't rely solely on goalies and one that got exploited when he didn't have Roberto Luongo or Henrik Lundqvist, the two greatest goalies of the team, the 2010s, I guess. The late 2000s and the 2010s, I guess we can call it that. Yeah, that's fair. The easily two best goalies. And I'm biased, but I think both were better than Marty Brodeur. But, well, that's a whole can of worms. <laughs> I feel like those are fighting words, Dave. You know what? Jersey smells bad, so, yeah. <laughs> and plus, Brodeur's too busy finding another stepsister. So, with that... That takes time. Uh, yeah, you gotta find more stepsisters. So, I am happy that he was let go, but I'm sad that the Flyers might actually become relatively competent and play a much more simplified game. Justin, I wanted to get your thoughts, because we haven't, you know, I've obviously had you on the show before, and, and you know, I, I haven't had much of a chance to really even talk to you prior to this. Where are you on the AV spectrum? You know, we know that Becky, who's you know normally on the show, is like a 10 out of 10, absolutely loathes the man's existence. Um, I hate him now, but I also liked him when they hired him, and I thought he did some good things. I thought he was the right guy for the team, at least for the first two, two and a half seasons. Uh, where were you on the AV spectrum uh, when he was the Rangers coach? And then what did you think when you heard the news that he was fired? I think I'm closer to you than Becky on that spectrum. And I think that a lot of the, the sort of negative attitude I had toward Davey just comes from feeling, you know, kind of profoundly burned, you know, coming out of the, the Tortorelli years, who, which I think you, you can look back a little bit more fondly than, than you did it in the moment. But with AV, I, th I agree with you. I think you felt like he was the right guy at the time. You felt like he was, you know, sort of progressive analytically and he was going to look at some of these, you know, sort of different, you know, system uh, deployment options and, you know, different ways to, to sort of maximize the value that he had on the roster. And, 
and then you just sort of get into his tenure more. And I think to Dave's point, you know, when you don't have a Hall of Fame goaltender back there, your systems kind of fall apart. You know, you got a you got a big problem. But you know, by the end, I was I was definitely uh, on the on the on the fire AV train, and it's just some of the the personnel decisions and and, and just the unwillingness, I guess, to address the the flaws and weaknesses in the systems just just drove me crazy by the end. So I'm, you know, I, I definitely feel a little bit of uh, you know. Uh, I guess inappropriate happiness at, uh, at him getting the axe here, but I, I agree with Dave. I think the Flyers are, are going to be a better team going forward because they were just a hot mess under AV. Yeah, and they're and they're talented. I mean, look, there's a lot of good players on that roster. It's not a perfect roster, and I think the way the Rangers are, the combination of the Rangers' current talent is is better than theirs, and the Rangers are just playing much better than them. They're much more well coached, as we know, under under Gerard Gallant, but. Um, you know, just back to that game real quick, Dave, I couldn't agree with you more. It was three nothing when Dryden Hunt took that que- that questionable penalty. I thought it was a penalty, by the way, but probably not a five minute and an automatic game misconduct. Um, the Flyers did build some momentum off of that power play. They ended up scoring a goal right after that, but the Rangers locked it down. And I think that's you want to, you know, kind of shifts us into the next game uh, that they played on on Friday night versus San Jose. But the idea of locking it down is something that we've seen this team get very comfortable doing over the last couple of weeks. Um, they seem to have an ability to protect leads that just was not there under Elaine Vigneault, especially the last few years, under David Quinn at all. Um, and even you know early in the year, it was basically only because Igor Shesterkin was playing you know in God mode. Um, they are a much better defensive team now. You know, obviously the offense I think comes and goes in spurts, but you know. Why do you think that is? Is it just a maturity thing or, or are they executing better? I mean, what are you seeing? Because the San Jose game, a one nothing win with Alexander Georgiev coming in after Shesterkin gets hurt. Um, you know, why do you think they've gotten so much better at, at playing with leads? Before we even get to that, the Gallant thing two weeks later still irks me. And oh, it's jarring. I'm never going to get used to that. Um, the difference is speed through the neutral zone meaning under david quinn the rangers and steve valiquette talked about this during one of the pre-games and i got really excited when he did because it was a question i asked but they under quinn the defensemen would back up to the tops of the circles and really depend on the forward and the back check to force the pressure and form that defensive triangle in the gap between the top of the circle and the blue line. Gallant has them... Just, just say whatever you want. I don't think he's listening. I'm trying to get the man's name right. I mean, I have people that call me Shapiro, and I still have no idea why. Um, the Gallant, Gallant... I did it again. Gallant has them not necessarily backing up to the top of the circle, but they have more of a step up around the blue line they'll read the play and they have the freedom to step up and slow them down at on zone entry and he also has a better message to the forwards on the back check so with the two of those the back check coming in and the defenseman not necessarily backing up they're able to clog that i want to say offsides face off dot to what suit lovingly refers to as the high risk area and they clog that whole thing up and when they're executing properly clean zone entries are rare and that means sustained zone time 
for the opposition is rare. And when you put those two together, it means the Rangers actually have to puck more because the opposition doesn't. It, it, it's it's a whole chain effect, and I don't know if I'm explaining it well enough. No, I think it's perfectly clear, actually. That's a great explanation. You sound yeah. like your coach. I, th- and I think that's exactly right, David. I'm just going to pick on David Quinn for a minute. I think that, you know, he ultimately, you know, kind of ran a college system. You know, when you have NHL speed through the neutral zone, you can't rely on back-checking forwards. They're just not there in time. You know, so if you see that that right. high part of the, the, you know, the blue line area in, in the zone entry, you're, you're, you're just asking for trouble. And it was just a lesson that he never learned. And he used to drive me nuts watching the Quinn teams. But I think the the, the more mature system that Gallant is running – definitely lends itself to uh you know to a better strategic option when it comes to protecting leads yeah and i'll also just throw in the fact that you know on the other side of the puck they are remain active on the forecheck and i mean i'm actually thinking back dave funnily enough to the preseason when i think it was one of the games against the islanders they were up i want to say four three and they sent two guys behind the net to to smoke out a defenseman, like with four minutes left in the game, turned oh, the God. puck over and got a fifth goal. And they were and I we were both like, whoa, two man forecheck, that aggressive late in the game. Like that's a marked uh, you know, um departure from pretty much every coach they've had in you know, in in the modern era. I mean, you know, maybe Torts' teams would do that. I mean, they did they were aggressive fork checking teams. You know, the, those teams have a have a reputation for being defense first block a lot of shots and that was i think more of a media narrative i mean torts is known as safe as death was his catchphrase uh his coaching style was aggressive i think he just tailored it a little bit to a a ranger team that didn't have top end skill at the time but you know they they stay active on the forecheck and they often um come up with the puck and they did in the san jose game you know after georgiev came in he faced a bunch of shots right away made three excellent saves i think he ended up facing nine shots actually but after the initial flurry, I think, and San Jose had a power play in there, the Rangers had, I want to say, two or three back-to-back extended shifts in San Jose's zone, and that pretty much broke them. They, they didn't have another chance the rest of the game, and I think that was just another thing that I've noticed. There's such a, a more effective forechecking team this year under, under Gerard Gallant. Uh, just one thing on that two men in behind the goal line. We have to remember which lines do that because I'm forgetting the game, but there was one game in the final five minutes. The Rangers did that, and it was the fourth line that did it. They got caught, yep. and they yep. gave up a game-tying goal. I'm forgetting which game it was. So the message the is Devils there. To, it was the Devils game? Yeah, oh. because they ended up winning the game in the shootout, but I, I right. think that was yeah because it led to an odd man rush the other way. Yep. So they do it. It's just we have to remember they have the freedom to do it. It's the fourth line probably isn't the best line to do it, even though they're one of the better fourth lines in the game right now. And, yes, they are one of the better fourth lines in the game right now. So it's kind of a double-edged sword because the top three lines have the skill to pull that off and the speed to get back. The fourth line does not have either. So kind of a give and take. But the message is clear. And, you know, Gallant has buy-in from the key guys he needs buy-in from. And that's another piece that you can't really quantify. Well, it's his thing, right? He's Everywhere he's gone, that's what he's been able to do. And I think you mentioned a couple times, Dave, that 20-game mark of getting guys to, to really you know figure out how to play within his system. And I think we're seeing the results of that now. 
God, I love being right. I love being... <laughs> I, I, I'm going to clarify that. I love being right when it's about optimism. I hated being Agreed. right about Dan Girardi. I hated that. <laughs> because I really like yeah. Dan Girardi. But I love when I'm like, guys, it's going to be fine. And then guess what? I'm right. It's like, ha! And a little knife jab to all the people like, oh, season's over. <laughs> we, we banged 30 points, but season's over. <clears throat> yeah. In November. Um, and then the next, you know, the next night they played against Chicago. That's also um, tonight's opponent as we record on Tuesday. Now we are recording before the game. So it's possible that some of the stuff we're talking about may change. But, you know, what else is new with this podcast? There seems to be some sort of massive Ranger news that that, that comes out within, you know, three, four hours of, of the release on Wednesday morning, making, you know, half the show irrelevant. But we appreciate you all continuing to uh, to listen nonetheless. Um they played Chicago at the Garden on Saturday night. Um, it was a game I actually went to um, and had a, a just an amazing time. Um, I know, you know, we've made some jokes about late starts, especially as we get older. You know, we kind of want to get to bed. Um, Eight o'clock game at home. Everyone was like, well, why? The Knicks actually played earlier in the day, so they had to change over from, from basketball to, uh, to hockey. Um, that was the reason for the late start. It wasn't like a national TV game or anything like that. But first of all, just right off the bat, guys, from being in the building – against an original six team on a Saturday night at eight o'clock, incredible atmosphere, just a, a just a, a crowd that was ready to have a good time that had probably had plenty of drinks beforehand. And it was an, it was an awesome, awesome time in there. And the Rangers, you know, after a pretty boring and below average first period, again, put together a strong performance and uh, won the game three, two on the back of Artemi Panarin, who's now starting to look like an MVP candidate again. Um, Justin, I want to get your thoughts on him because, you know, I I was slightly worried about him personally through the first 10 games. He looked way, way off. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, you know, a little bit of puck luck and he'd have, you know, uh, he'd look right. He looked like uh, the aging curve might have been catching up to him. You know, the stuff that normally works for him was not working. So were you in the same boat as me? Were you worried about him or did you keep the faith that he was going to turn it around? You know, I mean, he's such an important guy for them to, to get going. And, the, you know, a lot, in, in a lot of ways, their success is really dependent on, on his ability to do what he does on a game-in, game-out basis. And, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I lost the faith, but I think that he's one of those guys that, you know, when he's lost, it just it's not a good, you know, optical look. Like, you just go, you know, what's he doing out there? But I think, you know, we'll probably touch on a little bit later in the in the pod with respect to, you know, that the athletic article with him and Strom. But it seems like he's a guy that needs to be in a good headspace to really be as effective mm-hmm. as he can be. And when he is, I mean, the guy is just, he's such a joy to watch. He's, you know, he's so, he's got so much, so much high end skill and, and he's so fluid out there. But when he's sort of not in the right frame of mind for, for his game, it just looks terrible because you just go like, you know, there's no, uh, there's no plan out on the ice. And I think a lot of it is he's just sort of like a field guy and he goes out and he just does what he does. And when it's, when it's on and it's right, it's, it's a, it's a thing to thing of beauty, but when it's not, it's, it's just, it, it's not a great look, but you know, I never thought that he would, you know, that he had completely cratered by any stretch, but I, I thought he definitely needed to, to figure out where his game went for, for a few games there. Yeah, no, I I totally agree, and I think I think that's such a, uh, it's it's one of the things that people miss, right? And and you know these guys are not robots; they're human beings, and and it's actually amazing when you look back at the numbers he put up last season. Even though he missed, you know, I think it was nine games with all of the stuff going on in Russia to to take a leave of absence from the team. So, and even this year when he was struggling, he was still kind of putting up a point per game. 
But you're right. He wasn't playing the game with the same enthusiasm. And because of that, he wasn't affecting the game uh, in the way he normally does. No, that's, it's a it's a great point. I, I totally agree. Um, Dave, what did you see um, from the team in this game overall? Because, you know, I, I did put a note here. Um, it was their first. And look, by the way, this is not a big deal. And I don't want to come across as one of these people was like, oh, well, they lost the XG battle. So it's not a real win. But it was their first game where they had less than 50% of the expected goal share in a game since their the 2-1 loss to Toronto, which was a pretty close game. I think that was like 53-47 Toronto had the edge there. Chicago actually had the, the edge in this game, 60-40, I believe. Um, so, so, you know, they had plenty of chances. They hit a couple of posts. Georgiev did make some really good saves. Um, but w- what did you see from the team overall in this game? And does that worry going worry you going into another game against Chicago on a Wednesday night? Sorry, Tuesday night. Um, it doesn't worry me because listen, they're again they're not robots; they're humans. They're gonna have off days, and this is yeah. a game where they had to remember they didn't have Igor Shosturkin in net. And it was that first game they had to work on a quite frankly a goalie with no confidence and work a little bit differently with a little bit more attention to detail in the defensive zone. And it worked. I mean, yeah, the Rangers did not have the expected goal share, but the two goals Chicago scored, one was... I know one was off of that high stick that went on goal but wasn't called a high stick. Yes, that was was infuriating. And then there was the second one, which was also reviewed, and I forgot what the reason was. Um, it was a contact play. Yes, yes. Yeah, and like Dabrinkit took a shot. It like rattled off Georgiev, then the post, and landed at his feet, and then people rushed into the crease. Right, and kind of pushed, pushed him, him and, and it pushed the puck into the net, yeah. So yeah, Georgiev was... The puck was visible. Yeah. That should have blown that one down. That was that should have been blown dead. There was the high stick that went on net that should have been blown dead. So I'm giving Georgi of the shut out there. Um, nice. Uh, <laughs> so that they needed in the long term Georgiev to get his head on straight, and it looks like he's there. And they were also on the second of a back to back. So whatever they came out flat. It is what it is. They still got the win. And Chicago, despite their record as Rob Luker likes to say, is playing a lot better. It's about when you play a team, not the team mm-hmm. you play specifically. And Chicago's been rolling lately. You know, so Yeah, since whatever. they fired their coach, they've been they've been much better. Um all right, well let's shift to Alexander Georgiev because we've talked about you know him briefly, just how he came in and, and has done a good job so far, right? Completed the shutout on Friday versus San Jose, had a had a good game against Chicago with a little bit of help from the iron, but Justin, I want to start with you. This is this is you know why you're here. Uh, you know, and we, I kind of want to dig into Georgiev now. Um, what should we expect from him? You know, over these next three games. So we know with Igor on IR, he's going to play, if not all three, at least two of the next three. And and we'll we'll maybe talk about Husko a little bit. Um, I don't know much about him. I don't know if you do, but let's let's stick with Georgiev right now. Um, what are you looking for from Georgiev? And, and by that, I mean, what will make him successful in this next run of games? 
I mean, it's it's tough to say what I expect of, of Georgiev ultimately because he's, you know, he's he's struggled, obviously. But I think that, you know, I've, I've, I've personally been been rough on him, and I, but I thought he came in and did a, a fantastic job, you know, in, in relief of, of Shosturkin against San Jose. I mean, that's a, that's a really difficult spot for a goalie to find themselves in, especially that late in the game with that score. But, I mean, the, the, the ultimate reality with Georgiev stylistically is that he just doesn't give himself a huge amount of room for error. You know, he doesn't have that carrying skill that is really going to, you know, bail him out. And when times get tough, everything has to be in sync and he has to be, you know, really focused and, and you know, in control of his body and, and tracking the puck well. I mean, really, all those things have to come together. And I think that in, it, just historically looking at Rangers backups that there's, you know, I can't I mean, Dave, think about how many times we've heard over the years of, you know, this backup's better than Lundqvist. And, you know, you get into that whole narrative and, and really the, the sample size thing is the biggest enemy of the backup goalie when it comes to trying to forecast what they really are, because all these guys are immensely talented. They're playing in, you know, in the best league of the world, but the, the ability to do it over 15 to 25 games is very, very different than the ability to do it between, you know, 45 and 65 games. And I think that that's kind of what we're seeing seeing or what we've seen over the past couple of years with Georgiev as he's been leaned on a little bit more, you know, sort of the, the inability to rely on, on your, you know, I guess top end skill on a night in night out basis just really isn't there for him, which is why I think he could be a good backup. But I think his, his game has just slipped over the past, you know, a couple of years. It's really kind of been in a steady decline as the, as the league has gotten used to him. But I think ultimately some, some stylistic tweaks, I'm sure Alaire is working with him on, you know, how to correct some of the stuff they've seen in the, in, you know, in the film. But to Dave's point, I think a lot of it's about confidence. You just got to feel like you can go out there and stop the puck. And we haven't really seen a lot of that from Georg in the last, you know, 24 months, you know, pandemic aside, I'm definitely willing to give anybody a pass on last season, but he definitely needs to, to really diagnose and, and get to the root of the problems that he's been having. Yeah. You mentioned previous Ranger backups and that has been a position of strength. I mean, obviously the, the whole ridiculousness of, is this guy better than, Henrik Lundqvist is a question that never should have even been asked, but, you know, people love their narratives and, <laughs> you know, there's always going to be fans like that, unfortunately. But um, just in thinking about that, you know, where do you put Georgiev? Where do you kind of rank him when you think about, I guess, you know, Baron, Talbot, Ranta, those main three guys? Do you, do you think he's in that same category? Is he better than one or two of those guys? Where, where would you kind of rank him uh, against other Ranger backups from kind of the last decade or so? It's it's funny because when you try to qualify these guys in hindsight, you know, sort of figuring out what their specific things were. Baron, I think, is kind of an outlier because he was sort of at the tail end of his career and he was he was kind of looking at, you know, life as a backup and embracing that. Where you know the rest of these guys were really, you know, at least you know probably in their minds feeling like they could start somewhere. And it's it's sort of a different mindset and a different uh, you know point in their careers. I mean, Ranta. Ronto was very talented, but he was just extremely injury prone, which I think was going to make it difficult for him to, to find life as a starter, as we've seen since he left the Rangers. I'd probably say in terms of the guy that I would sign if I was a GM, I'd probably go Talbot, Ronto, Georgiev. Interesting. Dave, do you agree with that? And what are what are your overall thoughts on, on Georgiev? I mean, do you think he's a good goaltender? And I'm totally asking that question like from a from almost a place of ignorance because you know, I don't know that much about the position. Now, obviously, I can appreciate the dominance of Henrik Lundqvist. I mean, you know, even a layman can see the outrageous athletic ability of, of Igor Shosturkin um, and obviously how, how clutch he's already been in, in his young career. And even the KHL numbers are, are absurd. So I think we all knew what we were getting with, with him. But um, what are your what do you think about Georgiev, Dave? So I 
am with Justin on the rankings. Just based off of Talbot went on to get a decent trade haul from Edmonton and went on to start there and be, at the very least, league average. He had a couple of seasons where he was very good, and then he slowed down. Ranta went on to Arizona, played relatively well. Well, I mean, played well enough there, given that it's Arizona and they were a disaster anyway. So, Georgiev hasn't had well, that He's in Carolina chance. now, isn't he? Ranta? Yeah, I think so. I think so? Yeah. I, I, I can't keep track of this anymore. But he went to... Okay, fine. So, I mean, Carolina is one of the best teams in the league, so he's going to put up great numbers there anyway. I have no idea what his numbers are, quite frankly. But they both went on to be starters and competent starters. Georgiev, we know he won't clear waivers. Well, I should say we're assuming he won't clear waivers. There are... Too many teams that could take a flyer on a 25-year-old, 25-ish, is he 25? 20, yeah, 25-year-old goalie, still under team control, still relatively cheap. None of these teams that would claim him are really hurting for cap space. Now, a change of scenery might work, so he would not clear waivers. And, you know, he's definitely the worst of those three, but he's... Better than he has been playing, but he's not as great as he was when he first got here. He, there's a happy middle ground there. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree with that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, what about the clip uh, that went viral after, I want to say, the Flyers oh, game? stupid thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate people. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm going to, you know, that's going to get clipped at some point. It's going to come back and throw it in my face. But I hate when people do shit like that, where it's, they read into something that shouldn't be read into. The guy basically said, yeah, I've been frustrated with the way I've been playing. And because I've been playing like crap, I haven't been playing. So yes, I'm frustrated, but I'm happy the team has won, and I'm happy that I was able to personally right the ship a little bit on my own end. That's all it was. It wasn't disgruntled, I hate Shesterkin, I hate the Rangers. It was, I played like shit, and I know it, and I'm at a crossroads in my career, and I need to play better. That's why I'm a little bit pissed off. That's all it was. Shut up, people. Good lord. So it's funny, Dave, because no, that's a great point, and 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 I'm glad you uh, mentioned that. I was actually referring to there was a clip of in the post game handshake a few games back. This I don't know, Justin, if you know crap. what I'm talking about here. It's the same. I'm yeah, oh, it is. I know, I know, but <laughs> but no, it is. But I just wanted to kind of you know touch on it because it was a thing that was out there in Rangerland, right? So he very unenthusiastically congratulated Igor after. Um, after the game, which, which to be fair, I think culturally, and maybe Justin, you could touch on this a little bit, you know, culturally speaking, goalies are kind of tight, right? Because they're cut from the same cloth, literally. Um, you know, oftentimes you would see the backup, you know, give the goalie a big hug. Maybe they have some sort of inside joke handshake that they do. I mean, I don't know, but, you know, Georgiev kind of like barely looked at Chesterkin in the eye and gave him like a very light sort of fist bump and moved on. I mean... I think a lot of people, I would agree with you, Dave, are reading way too much into body language when you just don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But, you know, Justin, again, like normally there's a kinship among goalies. Am I right about that? And and yeah. was it a little bit weird, at least for Georgiev, to sort of like almost snub his goaltending partner? I mean, yes and no. I mean, I I, I think to your original point, yes, there's, there's absolutely a kinship between goalies. You know, I mean, and at the stage of, you know, my life and, you know, playing career to the extent that you can characterize it that way, you know, I, a number of my closest friends are still, or, you know, but the remaining close friends I have from my younger days are all goalies. You know, it's, it's definitely a, a fraternity to an extent. And, 
the big the big challenge with sort of assessing it is somebody who doesn't you know who hasn't played the position who doesn't sort of understand the the mindset of of going through that process, especially at a professional level, because it's a bit of a yin and a yang, right? So you, on one hand, have this very close relationship with this, you know, with your, your partner, your, you know, either your backup or the starter, depending on where you find yourself. But you're also very insular because when you're playing, you're in the net by yourself. And, and a lot of your, your criticism and your emotion is all very inward focused at that point in time because you really have no other outlet for it. So there's definitely situations, and it depends on the relationship, right? When you have like a Hank and Marty Baron situation, you got two veterans and they know their role and they know exactly what the expectations are of them. Where Georgiev, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't think anybody's going to argue that he's more talented than Shosturk and everybody kind of knows the deal. But at the end of the day, Georgiev's focused on his career. And I think, you know, clearly he seems to have aspirations and he feels like he could be a starter either elsewhere in the league or, you know, with the Rangers, you know, depending on sort of what his mindset is. But at the end of the day, he's pissed off at himself to Dave's point that he's not playing well. And, and you can definitely get a little bit resentful if your partner's out there lighting up the world on fire and you can barely find your, your way into the net in a game situation. So it's a little bit of a, of a push and pull. So I, I would say that I, I'd be very surprised if it was actual outward resentment towards George Shurkin, but I think he's going, you know, shit, I got another, I got another game that I'm not going to be able to play now because of how well he's playing. And you sort of have that, that inward frustration that sort of, you know, boils over at times, depending on, you know, what else is going on, uh, you know, in the world around you. Yeah, that's makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. I mean, look, I think that my own assessment, again, almost like from a layman's perspective, you know, even though I watch every single game very closely, um, I think Georgiev is a is a good backup. I I also think that and and can be a backup in in the league. I don't know about starter. Maybe again he would start for a, a bad team or rebuilding team. Who knows what happens when he gets a lot of games and maybe, maybe he gets used to that workload and develops into I don't know like a league average starter. But um, you know for me I was I was I'm still sore frankly that they didn't trade him a couple of seasons ago because I think they had an opportunity to do it. And I guess mm-hmm. the market never materialized. Now, maybe that was the rare instance of NHL GMs being smart, right? I mean, maybe they just said, hey, look, sample size is too small. Any kid can come in and get hot. Um, but there were teams, especially the Maple Leafs at the time. Now they've found Jack Campbell. And actually, they, they acquired Jack Campbell that year. So again, you know, props to Dubas. And he's running an NHL team, and I'm not. So, um, But but they uh, they were looking for a goalie. There were other teams that, are, that were looking for goaltending. It, it, there are, you know, six to eight teams at any time, given time in the NHL that are looking for goaltending. And the fact that the Rangers couldn't unload Shesterkin at that deadline was always perplexing to me. But no, anyway, you know, I just wanted to kind of touch on a couple more points before we, um, before we move on. Um, do you think he'll play back to back? So let's assume that he puts in a decent performance similar to what he did against Chicago. Now, result of the game, again, we're going to be you're going to be listening to this on Wednesday, folks that are listening, that are, that are hearing this, you're going to know what happened. If obviously if if he had a horrible game, he's not going to play back to back, but you know, given that we don't know anything about Adam Huska, at least I I don't, and the Rangers probably know very little uh, about him as well. Do you think he gets the back to back or do you think they're going to try and throw Huska in there? A la Mackenzie Skapsky, Justin. I, I think they're going to play. I think they're going to run with Gurria for for a couple of reasons. One, you got to get him right. I mean, unless unless you're really you know prepared to move on from him and you have a, another option lined up to to come in and, and, and back up Shosturkin, like you got to figure out a way to get Georgiev to a place where he's playing competitively. And I think the other you know the other ultimate reality of it is that Tuska's just not ready. You know, I, I think that he has. 
you know, he's been putting up some good numbers in the AHL. You know, he, he acclimated to that level. But, I mean, I think that you're, you'd really be kind of throwing him to the wolves, I think, at this point when Georgiev hasn't played that much. I don't think he his body wouldn't be able to handle you know three straight games that are that are relatively close together. I think you gotta you gotta see what you have in him. I think you gotta shield Huska a little bit because I think it wouldn't be uh, the best developmental thing to to toss him into a tough situation like this at this point. Have you watched him at all, or are you familiar with him? A little bit, not as much as I like to be. If I'm going to comment on somebody's ability, I mean, I, th- I think that he has upside. I think that he could be an NHL goaltender. I just don't think he's there right this second. Got it. Okay. And Makes to that sense. point, let's just remember, and we brought this up a couple of podcasts ago when the whole waving Georgiev thing came up. Huska has never, until this year, put up over a 90% save percentage in the AHL. He played 28 games in 1920-894. He played 13 games against the same two opponents in 2021-890. This year, he's got a 924 save percentage. And are you... Are you really going to feed him to the wolves and destroy any confidence he's just built up? You know, let him sit, let him absorb, and then send it back down. Let him sit with the goalie whisperer and then build upon his strong season because he's going to start in Hartford next year. Keith Kincaid is not going to be there next year. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Kincaid, uh, that was one. I'm, I'm glad you brought him up. Dave, he's a little bit of a of a of a wild card, I would call him. Um, Justin, what are your thoughts on him? What are your thoughts on Kincaid? Because there are some people who, and this is maybe classic Ranger fan, um, you know, BS, frankly. But there are some people who think he should be the backup and you know kick Georgiev <laughs> to the curb uh, and just run with Kincaid. Is that a plausible solution here or no? Um, short answer, no. I guess I'll, I'll qualify that with saying I have I have nothing but love for Keith Kincaid as a, a Union College uh, alumni, but he, he he's a very good AHL goalie. I, I don't see him as a as a viable you know alternative for essentially the the workload easing that Shusterkin needs at this at this stage of his career. Because I think if you want to, because it seems like the Rangers are in a decent position to feel confident that they could make a run, and I really don't think Shusterkin should you know, really be much over 60 games if they really want him to be in top form for that grind of the playoffs. And I think you need somebody that can really take the load off of him at various points during the season. I I don't necessarily think Kincaid's that guy. Yeah. And I I was actually going to ask you that question. So you answered it. So, so you think it's 60 games or less for Igor. And and I'm also assuming by the way, that if the Olympics happen, he's going to, he's going to be the starting goalie for the Russian Olympic team. Right. I mean, uh, unless I'm just, maybe I guess it'd be Vasilevsky. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to, they'd start Vasilevsky. I'd imagine, but I think they, the sister could definitely see, you know, see some action in the Olympics. I'm not, I wouldn't be as worried about the Olympics just because again, I think, I think, the, the lion's share against the games that aren't against, you know, really weak opponents are going to be Vasilevsky. But I just, you know, this is, you know, we're, we're definitely, I think the, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think Shesterkin's highest games played total since he's been in the league is like 38. So he's, he's not used to that workload. He's not acclimated to it. And I don't see any reason why he couldn't, you know, perform over, over that workload. But I think especially now, because it seems like the windows opened a little bit earlier than people thought. I, I, I don't think you want a gassed young goaltender, you know, come, come spring. 35 was yeah. last year. That was yeah. that was the most. Um, 39 in 2016, in the KHL. 2017 in the KHL. Yeah. So, I mean, he's just not used to an NHL starter's workload, you know, what that does to your body, especially because, you know, to Rob's earlier point, he plays an extremely athletic style. 
and you know to be up for that night in night out after you you know crack your you know 45th 50th game this season you know i'd be surprised if it didn't start to take a toll on on his stamina yeah well and we'll let's see what how how georgiev does i mean i think you're right justin i think we're gonna we're gonna get a you know what's gonna end up being about a four you know and 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 you know four uh, game sample plus the 10 minutes or so he played against san jose to really see if he's put his game back together. And I think, you know, believe it or not, uh, you know, judging by what you just said about, uh, you know, the workload that Shesterkin can handle, looking forward to the playoffs, uh, which sounds crazy here on December, you know, 7th or whatever today is, December 8th when you're listening to this. But, you know, it, it comes quick and the Rangers are in position. They are, they are a 98% chance to make the playoffs if you look at some of those uh, projections on, on places like moneypuck.com. So, you are already planning if you're Gerard Gallant, Chris Drury for a long playoff run. Georgiev's going to need to need to play games. He's going to need to uh, take some of that workload off of Igor's shoulders, and and he's going to have to be good because the Rangers are going to be in a in a fight for those top three spots in in the Metropolitan Division. All right. So last thing I wanted to talk about um, with you guys was Ryan Strom and Artemi Panarin. So. Uh, a great article came out a couple of days ago in The Athletic. Again, Arthur Staples just been doing an absolutely tremendous job since taking over uh, Ranger coverage uh, for The Athletic. Uh, and also, by the way, shout out to Shana Goldman, who uh, just went full time with the, with the Athletic. Congratulations to her. She's going to be writing you know, Rangers content, Devils content as well. But um, really awesome opportunity for her and uh, stick tap to, to Shana Goldman, who we'd love to have on the pod at some point, uh, some point soon. Um, it was a great profile piece in The Athletic by Arthur Staple, uh, basically a dual sit-down interview with Artemi Perrin and Ryan Strom, you know, dug into their personalities a little bit, went went beyond just the usual on-ice, hockey-related, you know, stock, you know, media-trained quotes that you usually get. Um, funny, funny duo. I mean, they call it a bromance in the, uh, in the headline of the article, but um, obviously what it highlighted for me, um, and I'd love to get your thoughts, uh, Dave, is that... Panarin feels very strongly about Ryan Strom being his center and being uh, a, a playing partner of his, you know, obviously not just this season, not just looking back on the last few seasons, but moving forward. I mean, it was very, very clear to me that um, he was lobbying publicly for the Rangers to re- re-sign Strom. I mean, they call, he called him a star player in the, um, you know, in the article itself. So, you know that leaves the Rangers, and this is this is very much a crossroads decision for this franchise coming up. What do you do with Ryan Strom when his contract expires at the end of this season? Now we know that contract talks have begun, but you know this is a very Ranger thing, and it's always Larry Brooks who reports this. You know, it's like, well, they're talking, but not a lot of progress is being made. Like, you know, it's just kind of initial volleys, and that could go on for months. So as the months go by, and as the, this situation comes to a head. Um, the decision's going to have to be made. So, Dave, like I said, I'll start with you. You know, where are you on Strom right now, and and what do you think's going to end up happening? So, I wrote a lot about this, and all of this comes down to Strom's ask. So, if it's Panarin that is saying I need him as my center, Panarin's contract has four years left. You sign Strom to no more than four years. You tie the two together, and you cut mm-hmm. ties with them together. Off of evolving Wilds contract predictions, four-year term, 5% chance of that happening at $6.1 million. That is not doable under the cap constraints over the next four years unless the Rangers dump 
Barclay Goudreau, Jacob Truba, or Chris Kreider. It's just not doable. They're not going to dump Kreider. They're not... I can't say they're not going to dump Truba because there's space to... They probably can't dump Truba because of his no-move. Goudreau's contract is movable, but they'll keep him this year and next year. They probably won't move him if they can until the 2023-2024 season. And just looking at the salary numbers, you know, he's still getting more. That's not a movable time to a team that would need the cap hit in less dollars. So I don't know. It depends on Strom's ask. If he's willing to take, I think $5 million is the most they can get to. I think that's what I came to my conclusion on. Obviously, cap ceiling matters. But if he's willing to do four years, $20 million, take him through 29, 30, 31, his age 32 season, sure. I mean, there aren't many options out there that are better than Ryan Stroman, the way he's been doing it. And he's really found a home here. He's one of the better two C's in the game right now. And it's not because he's attached to Panarin, because he's doing it without Panarin on his line. He, It worked here. And that trade of Spooner for Strom is looking the same as Broussard for Zibanejad. I mean, yeah, it's very true. One of, one of Jeff Gordon's best moves, for yeah. sure. Uh, Spooner's now out of the NHL altogether. Um, or, Justin, you know what, I'm going to put a caveat in there. They could also move on from one of their kids that's going to get a pay bump. It's likely not going to be Heedle because they need the center depth. Is it going to be Keandre Miller? Because they have a bu- they have Zach Jones. They have Matthew Robertson. Is it going to be Ryan Lindgren? Because they have Braden Schneider. There's going to be yeah. somebody on this team you don't want to lose if the Rangers keep Ryan Strom. Unless there's some kind of miracle and the NHL with the new TV contract and finally getting fans back in the stands, all of a sudden the salary cap ceiling goes up from $81.5 million to they need it at about $85-86 million by 2023-2024 to make this work. I got nothing else. Yeah. I mean, it's a numbers game. No, that's – yeah, absolutely. No, Justin, I wanted to ask you your – just overall thoughts on Strom as a player because – I think it took a lot of people time, a long time, to warm up to him, um, mm-hmm. both as as just a player and even as a just as a guy on the team. Right? He didn't he didn't feel right for for a lot of people. I think for a while, and then you know, and even just friends that I talked to, it's like, oh, you know, whatever. Ryan Strom, he was an Islander and he wasn't that good, and he played with Tavares and he played with McDavid, and you know, what are we doing here? And and he's turned into. Um, as Dave said, a very key member of the team and, and also, you know, a, a leader. I mean, he wears an A and, and I know half the team wears an A, so that doesn't necessarily mean much, but <laughs> he's out there in front of the media after almost every game. He gives very actually pretty thoughtful answers, you know, um, as far as hockey players go. You know, you can tell that he really cares about the, the overall picture of the team and not just his own individual performance when, you know, when, when, when he talks to the media and when he's asked to assess how the team is playing. So, I mean, yeah, just just wanted to get your thoughts on him. And, you know, did you like him right away? Did you did you take time to warm up as well? You know, where were you on Strom and where are you now? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of it, too. I, I definitely was not a, a huge Strom fan, especially at the beginning. And I think it's it's tough because, you know, you get a guy that, you know, he's drafted a fifth overall, I think, uh, in, in his draft year. And he had, you know, sky-high expectations with the Islanders. And he just really – it kind of showed no signs of living up to those until until he came to you know the other side of New York. So I think it was 
a lot of it was trying to figure out like, okay, is this real, you know, or is this, uh, you know, he had a little bit of a bump and, you know, Panarin's kind of holding him up and, and what's, we, what kind of player are we really dealing with here with Strom? And I think over the last couple of years, he's proved that, you know, he's, he's sort of found his game and he's, you know, obviously capable of being a high end NHL producer. I think the challenge with Strom and assessing his value, I think to sort of Dave's point, like you think about the, the, the kind of cognitive gymnastics you have to do to rationalize a contract for him. I think it's because he is just extremely competent and functional. Like there's, there's kind of nothing about his game that makes you go, you know what, this is a guy that I'm going to go to the mat for as a fan. And, and that's, you know, through no fault of Strom's, he play he plays a good game and he's done a great job since he's been here. But it's, you know, when you look at some of the other players around that can sort of generate that energy from fans, that's not really Strom's game. He just goes out, does what he does, does it well. And, and does, you know, says all the right things, does all the right things. And, and, call it a day but i think it's just harder to generate that that passion that we need to keep this guy energy from the fan base and you know i i get it on on both sides and i think that you know to dave's point the the way that the cap crunches is ultimately going to come through unless you know there's a significant rise where you know the team's going to lose somebody that they'd rather not and i think it might be strome but you know because i think somebody like keandre miller has the the biggest potential to be that guy that you lose and he becomes a superstar elsewhere and you're kicking yourself forever so i think it's a it's a, a very challenging situation for the front office over the next couple of years i just want to throw one thing out there assuming the rangers can't move the any of the bigger contracts, Goudreau's included, the person that is most easily replaced in terms of on-ice production is Ryan Lindgren. Easily replaced. Hmm. It's an interesting thought, that's, and that is not a name you hear there, come up at all. <laughs> so, and again, that's just on-ice production. I love Ryan Lindgren. Don't take that the wrong way. I want him to be a career ranger. I... I can't believe that the Rangers got him in the Rick Nash deal. Or I should say, I can't believe what he turned into. Because when the Rangers got him in that deal, we're like, we, he was an afterthought. It was like, oh, another all-defense, no-puck-moving-ability defenseman. And now, he's another guy that has shown, like Strom, he can do it without his superstar partner. Ryan Lindgren has done it without Adam Fox. So, Lindgren is the guy... That you can replace on ice, whether or not you can replace him in the locker room, we don't know yet. And I'm actually just looking at the cap friendly page. Patrick Nemeth's two point five million dollar contract is easily movable as well. And that's his mm-hmm. final year in twenty three, twenty four. But you might have to say goodbye to both well, Nemeth neither here nor there. Lindgren is the one to me, because like Justin said, Keandre Miller, if you move him, he's the one who's most likely going to become a star elsewhere. I'm thinking like a Brent Burns kind of late blooming career where at 27 28 he puts up just ridiculous point totals he's got all the physical tools to do it he's got the shot he's got the skating mm-hmm. um it's just going to come down to decision making and ability to read the game um and his defensive metrics have been uh hot and cold to say the least but no i yeah. agree i mean i love keandre miller i hope he's a ranger forever too and but you can't keep everybody um the thing I'll say about Strom is, and I, this is a point that a lot of folks have made, and I totally agree with it. I think no matter what, you have to see it out this season. He's too important this season to just dump him at the deadline because you're obsessed with having to get something for an expiring contract. I also do think that there will be value in, both for Strom as a, as a, as a, as a pending free agent and the Rangers, um, in seeing how he does in the playoffs. You know, I thought... And look, this was a very different circumstance, so I take it with a huge grain of salt anyway, but I do want to put it out there. I thought he, and, and he wasn't the only guy, so and I don't want to sound like I'm hammering him, 
but I thought he really shrunk in those playoff bubble games against Carolina. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, his game does not translate well at all to the more physical, tight-checking, intense environment of actual, you know, do-or-die NHL playoff hockey. And I want to see if that's still the case, if and when the Rangers play playoff games this spring. Um, and I think that is going to end up informing the decision as well. And I think if he proves, like, and, and he actually reminds me of, of the guy and they wear the same number, uh, or they, you know, uh, this guy wore the same number, his game reminds me of Derek Broussard. And Derek Broussard was, other than Chris Kreider, probably the most clutch Ranger forward throughout those playoff runs. He scored big goal after big goal. He, he was dependable. You know, again, skill player, but not like a flashy, um, you know, uh, highlight reel type of guy, as you were kind of alluding to before, Justin. But um, Strom reminds me of, of Broussard in a lot of ways. And let's see if Strom can do it in the playoffs. I think that's definitely an open question. And I think it's one that the Rangers want to see answered before they make a decision on him. Um, so we'll see about that. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that before we uh, wrap up here. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you 100% with respect to letting him play out the season. You know, I think it was, uh, was it your article, Dave, a few days ago about the, the value inherent in that. And it's, uh, I, th- I think that's very valid. I think, you know, flipping him at the deadline for, you know, some futures, I, I, I think you're doing more harm than good there, especially because I think given everybody's discussion here about sort of the, the tepid commitment to, to really investing in him long term, I can't imagine the return is going to be heavy enough to really justify what you're losing on the ice. So I agree with you. You have to play out the season. And I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to give every, you know, pretty much everybody a pass in the bubble and all that kind of stuff, especially under, under David Quinn's systems. I think the, the ineffectiveness in the playoff was, was very systemically driven and they just really weren't put in a position to succeed. So I'm, I'm trying to keep an open mind this year as far as, you know, evaluating performance and, you know, under glance systems. But I think uh, no matter what, if the Rangers want to make any noise this year, it's it's going to be with Ryan Strom on the roster. Yep. Uh, yeah. There is so much value in getting these kids playoff time. And knowing what we know about Chris Drury and how he values playoff experience and playoff production, Barkley Goodrow is an example there. Ryan Reeves is an example there. I, I am willing to guarantee that they are looking to see what Strom does in an actual playoff race, like you said, and in the playoffs, to see if he's worth the four years that they're probably willing to commit to him. And if he can perform in the playoffs the way he's doing in the regular season, and he takes you know a four-year deal, I don't see the downside here. Worst-case scenario, he doesn't perform. The fans turn on him like they always, like, you know, we love our playoff performers. Look what happened to Rick Nash. Mm-hmm. Well, if he doesn't perform, a, tra- a travesty. Yep. If he doesn't score, he doesn't perform. Nobody's going to lose sleep if they cut him or let him walk. I should say, let him walk to free agency. No one's going to yeah. lose sleep. Yeah, I think the playoffs are a huge uh, marking point, especially for Strom. Um, all right, guys. Well, this has been fun. Before we go, Justin. So we normally do get some fan questions, and we didn't get too many this week. Um, but, uh, last time we had a special guest on the pod guest host, I should say it was Rob Luker from, you know, obviously from the blog as well. Uh, we had a question that time about cocktails, favorite cocktails. So, uh, before we let you go, I would love to hear from you what your favorite cocktail is. So again, the parameters here are, can't be just like a neat liquor, um, has to be a mixed drink of some sort. So where are you going? If you're, if you're going for a cocktail. 
See, now I'm, I'm, I'm not a great answer for this question because I've, I've been a, a bourbon neat guy historically, but my wife is a sommelier. So I, you know, basically drink nothing but wine at this point. So I'm a, wow. I'm definitely not a great, uh, I'm not a great mixed drink, uh, aficionado. So I'm, I'm going to take the, the boring out there and say it's basically, uh, Italian, Italian wine at this point. What about a bourbon wow. finished in a red wine cask? I could do that. Yeah. Like I mean, they have the Woodford finished in like the Sauvignon casks i believe and th- that's pretty good so next next time in the city that's what we're gonna do <laughs> dude i went great. to denver and they had woodford on the rocks for seven dollars and i kind of looked at him and he goes yeah it's cheap here <laughs> <laughs> see there you go you're gonna you're gonna pull me back into the into the spirits world after my uh my, my foray into wine for the past half decade or so well, yeah, I mean, I follow your wife on Twitter, and I see all of these wine things, and I am nowhere near sophisticated enough to taste any of that. I just taste good or bad. See, there you go. But that's the thing. <laughs> Goalies are weird, so we get uh, we, we get carte blanche to, to drink stuff that, you know, that most hockey players don't drink. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chalk it up to the, the nature of goaltending. The fair. Love that. All right, well, Justin, this, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, joining the show this week. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Live from the Blue Seats is a production of Blue Seat Blogs. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We're currently available on iTunes and Spotify. If you can spare a minute, please leave us a rating and a review, as it helps other fans find the show. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Seats Live, and check out blueseatblogs.com, the longest-running fan site for all things Rangers, from news and opinion to video analysis and more. For Dave and Becky, this is Rob signing off. We will see you next week.